glad uh, you are with us today and thankful. I am thankful that you're here. And I realize that uh, you've invited me into your homes or wherever you're watching this. So thank you for hosting me today. And I want to appreciate our guests, anybody who's with us, uh, who is not uh, formally with Grace Point Church, but we're glad you're here also. And so we trust that each one will grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And uh, here we are again, still sheltering in place. Uh, and I was thinking this week uh, about a ministry opportunity I had when we lived in the upper Midwest. We would uh, once in a while go down to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission and help serve meals to the homeless and the street people and those who were uh, really in desperate need of uh, care and desperate need of food. And we would serve there and uh, I made some observations while I was there. And there were some 300 people who went through there at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. And uh, we would serve them and talk to them, chat with them, sit down with them. And I recognized that uh, each one of them was desperate for a connection. A connection to something and they were desperate for a compelling cause in their life and they were desperate for completeness in life and they were lacking all of those things and uh, just in a physical way an emotional way a mental way and uh, some very uh, difficult situations people that were really in some kind of a bondage if you will and I was thinking uh, the correlation to us today is we probably, most of us, for the majority of us, are pretty comfortable even though we're at a, a sheltering in place time and uh, a pandemic time. Uh, we are uh, no doubt having some restrictions upon ourselves, whether self-placed or our government uh, is uh, encouraging us uh, to shelter in place and have restrictions and some are suffering more than others uh, whether it's in business or relationships and we recognize that today but I was thinking about that uh, those who are we were serving at the rescue mission and I was thinking that uh, really in all reality all of humanity is in a de desperate condition like that we are all desperate for a need of connection with something bigger than ourselves and we are desperate for a compelling cause to live for and desperate for a completeness in our lives. And not just in this physical life, but uh, for eternity and in our spiritual and emotional well-being, obviously. So there was such a stark contrast between what I saw at the rescue mission and what we normally perhaps enjoy. Uh, and yet every human being is in great need. God has said that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it really tells us our desperate condition. We are returning today to the book of Colossians. Uh, we have started this study some time ago and we're gonna continue with it because even though we may be living in times of adversity, we still need to pay attention to God's word, God's will and God's way for our lives and continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That cannot be put on hold. In fact, it's usually through times of adversity that some of our greatest spiritual growth occurs and in times of uh, difficulty and uh, even despondency, if you will. And so today we are returning to the letter to the Colossian believers. And remember the theme or the main purpose of Paul writing the book of Colossians uh, was to exalt and remind these believers in the city of Colossae of the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is supreme. <clears throat> there was a virus invading that city, but it was the virus of false teaching that was coming through the church at Colossae, and uh, the people were 
uh, not immune to false teaching, just <clears throat> excuse me, just as we are today. There is much false te teaching out and around us, and the church is under attack all the time. Uh, it's the history of the church that uh, we are always under attack by the false teacher because Satan himself uh, desires to destroy families and destroy the church uh, if he can. So anyway, the uh, false teachers at Colossae were not denying uh, the fact of Jesus Christ, but they were certainly dethroning him. And in their uh, false teaching, uh, they said all uh, matter was evil, and therefore, if Jesus was truly God, God could not take on a human body because because a human body matter was evil. And so they dethroned Jesus Christ and took away his eminence and his uh, supremacy in their false gospel. And uh, we're coming to uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1 <clears throat> and verses uh, 21 through 29, although we will not cover that whole portion today, but it's set up for us. The Apostle Paul, remember, I said last week, the whole book is an argument, and he is building his case and an argument that it's good to sit and read the whole book uh, in one setting, and then you get start getting the picture uh, with these chunks. But obviously, on a message like this, we're covering perhaps a paragraph at a time or a shorter portion at a time. Uh, but last week, we looked at the, the fact that uh, Paul is uh, em emphatically enforcing the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme. And he gives us seven descriptions or seven arguments or reasons why Jesus Christ is the supreme one. He is the preeminent one. If you have your copy of Scripture, take your copy of Scripture and find the letter to the Colossian believers in your New Testament. And we will start there. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have uh, rescued us as believers in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this copy of God's word that each one of us have and that we have such great freedom to own copies of your word. And thank you that it's in our own language. We thank you for this day of life you've given to us. And we pray that we would have attentive hearts and spirits as we look into your word and that you would teach us today. For it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. Uh, these seven descriptors we looked at last week, and let me just review those for us because it sets up the passage we are looking at today. Uh, in verse, thir uh, excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 1, we see that the first one is the image. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. That's the first one. In other words, he is the striking likeness. He is, you look at Jesus, you see God. Uh, secondly, he's the firstborn of all creation. Uh, firstborn doesn't mean he was created, but it means he is the preeminent one. He is over all things. It's a, a place of position, of stature. And thirdly, he created. He was the creator. He created both heavens and earth. He created by him and for him. And that takes uh, infinite power to create anything because we don't really create anything out of nothing. Only God does that. The fourth thing we see is he is the head of the church, head of the body, the church. And of course, a body without a head is not living. It is useless. And so Jesus Christ is our guide. He is our head, it tells us there. And then he is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, he is resurrection, uh, death, burial, and resurrection. He overcame the curse of death uh, as the perfect God-man. The sixth one, he is the fullness of God to dwell in him. All of God is in Jesus Christ. He is God. Remember, we believe in the triune God or the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
and each one is a person in one essence. Now, we have no correspondence in our experience in this world, and yet the Bible teaches that God is one, and yet with three persons, and God the Son is the fullness of the Father in him. And the seventh one, and this sets up the next paragraph, and through him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. How did he reconcile us to him? Uh, made peace through the blood of his cross. And so Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the one who took our sins upon himself, and he reconciled us. He purchased us out of the slave market of sin, out of the bondage we were in. And that sets up the next paragraph, verses, a large section, verses 21 through 29. And in that, we're going to see today in verses 21 through 23 that we are vitally connected to Christ. We are connected to Christ then when we return to this passage, we will see in verses 24 through 27 that we are compelled by Christ, not only connected, but we are compelled by him. And thirdly, we are completed in Christ in verses 28 and 29. And so we are completed, we are compelled, excuse me, we are connected, we are compelled, and we are completed in Jesus Christ. And of course, the book of Colossians was written to people who are believers in Jesus Christ for everlasting life. Remember, clear up at the introduction, it's from the Apostle Paul, by the will of God, to the saints and faithful brethren in Colossae. And so by extension, we've received this letter. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Now, you may not feel very saintly, and sometimes most of us don't act very saintly from our perspective. And yet, saint is one who is set apart unto the holiness of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so this is written to believers. And so this morning, we want to look at verses 21 through 23. Let me read those for us. And if you would follow along, beginning in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you, there's that word, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Amen and amen. There's a lot in this little paragraph, but it's basically past, present, and future, if you look at it that way. Each verse, verse 21 is past, verse 22 is present, verse 23 is future. And uh, you could look at it that way, although it may be a better way to look at it, is verse 21 is our past condition our past condition. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if you believed in him in Sunday school when you were five years old, uh, like my daughter did, or if you believed in him as an adult, as I did, uh, for everlasting life. We have a past condition. We were sinners by nature. And uh, I was thinking about our past condition and the bondage we were in. And by the way, if you have never believed in Jesus for everlasting life, it may not look like it or feel like it, but you are really in bondage. I remember when I was about eight years old, nine years old, we lived, I grew up in Denver, Colorado until I was 16, and we lived out in Jefferson County. We had moved out there from North Denver, and uh, uh, Jefferson County made, uh, built a new jail. 
and uh, they had an open house for the public, which I find kind of an oxymoron, really, an open house at a jail. But uh, my dad, very wisely, took me as an eight or nine-year-old, and we went out to the new Jeffco jail facility, and you got the tour and look into the cells, and my dad very wisely and winsomely explained to me what how you end up in a cell like that for the rest of your life or for some some time, and it uh, scared everything out of me, truly. It scared me, and I could not imagine. It just grieved my soul as he, as a boy that someone would have to live in that small little cell with that cot and a sink and a toilet. And uh, so that uh, maybe that was the one thing that prevented me from a life of crime. I'm not sure. Uh, but I was thinking about that bondage. And even though uh, we don't feel like uh, we're in a jail when we are not a believer in Jesus Christ, yet that is what the word tells us. It tells us there's three things about our life before Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20 again, 21 again. He says, though you were formerly alienated, we were alienated, we were estranged from God. Now, in our human relationships, there are some times where people are estranged from one another because they've been offended, they've been hurt, uh, some, something has happened, and we know how painful and difficult that is. <clears throat> but think, of, imagine that we, by our choice, by our sin nature, are estranged and alienated from the very Creator Himself. And that was our past condition. <clears throat> that was where we were. And then secondly, not only were we alienated, but it tells us we were hostile in mind. Hostile in mind. We were enemies with God, shaking our fist at our Creator God. <clears throat> Conscious antagonism. And I can speak from experience. I was uh, agnostic and atheistic. And uh, the short time I was, thought I was an atheist, I was shaking my fist in God's face. But there are many people who do that, and many who think they are pretty good people who are <clears throat> not only estranged but hostile to God. And thirdly, it tells us in verse 21, we were sinners by nature. Uh, we were engaged in evil deeds, is what uh, my translation tells us there. We, were <clears throat> commit, uh, we, we commit sin because we are inwardly hostile. We have this sin nature. Sins, as we say, plural, are the outworking of a nature, of a nature that we are born with. It's a visible expression of an internal reality. And so that's our past condition, our past condition. And Jesus Christ came and rescued us from that. He was our reconciler. Remember, that's the word that was used. He reconciled us. He bought us out of that slave market, that bondage of sin, so we could be connected with him. And it's by grace that we are saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Anne Lamont uh, has a definition of grace that I like. Let me read it for you. Grace means that you're in a different universe from where you have been stuck, when you have absolutely no way to get out of there on your own. That is grace. God has reached down and rescued us. And verse 22 tells us about that current position, our current position. Look at <clears throat> verse 22 again with me. Yet, isn't that a wonderful little three-letter word? Even though our past condition, it seems hopeless, we're in bondage. Verse 22, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. He has reconciled you, bought you out of the, uh, the, the place of sin, the bondage of sin, and his physical death was necessary for our salvation. Of course, the false teachers of Colossae said that 
Uh, Jesus, if he was an emanation of God, did not die a physical death because he didn't have a physical body. Therefore, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the Bible was void and it was fake. And uh, But their gospel was the one that was fake because Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. So Jesus Christ physically died. We, we just uh, remember that on, at Easter time about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the great hope that we have, the victory over sin and death. And then it tells us the reason why he did this. Look again at verse 22 at our current position. Remember, we had a condition in the past. Now we have a current position, a current position. In verse 22, okay, he says that he his fleshly body through death in order, there we go, there's that, that structure marker right there in the middle of verse 22, this is the reason, in order to present you before him, okay, how can we stand before a righteous holy God? Because we cannot do it in ourselves, because all of sin falls short of the holiness or righteousness of God, the glory of God. Uh, it's not within ourselves. In fact, as you read chapter one, it's nothing we can do. It's all about what God has done. And it tells us, in order to present you before him, and look at these three things, holy, blameless, number two, number three, beyond reproach. Holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Of course, any holiness, purity we have is because Jesus Christ has put to our account his righteousness, his perfection. Remember, Jesus Christ and those seven descriptors up above <clears throat> of him is perfect. He is holy. And God cannot have any shadow of sin at all. He is perfect and holy, does all things right. And so in those three descriptors, in verse 22, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. <clears throat> you know, the world is very good at telling us and blaming us for a lot of things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you listen to the world, you know, of course, uh, Christians are always under attack, always have been through the centuries. And uh, we live under illusion if we think uh, we're going to be accepted by those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And uh, so Jesus Christ tells us what our position is. We're good at listening to others. Perhaps when you were growing up, somebody told you you were stupid or ugly or didn't have any athletic ability, all those things, you know, and it, it marks us for life, really. And yet this is what we have to pay attention, attention to. You are wholly consecrated, dedicated by him and unto him, set apart unto God. We were blameless. Technically, the term means without a flaw. Can you imagine that? Without a flaw, free from defects, without blemish, stainless in character and conduct. You know, that doesn't describe any of our lives, I don't think, but it's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that our position, when God the Father looks at us, he sees Christ, and that is without defect. And then beyond reproach, there is no charge, there's no accusation, either here or in the hereafter, that will stick. Remember Jesus Christ, his ministry, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he just didn't sit back and do nothing. Uh, Jesus Christ, the God, the Son, is our advocate and our intercessor. His advocacy is when Satan accuses us of sin, which oftentimes are probably pretty accurate accusations, 
Jesus Christ uh, says, no, my blood paid it all. My, I took all those, those sins upon myself. He is our advocate, our intercessor, intercedes for us. When we are the great accuser goes before the Father. And he's also our great high priest. And that's uh, why we pray a prayer of confession and that he forgives us and restores us to relationship in relationship forgiveness or in, in fellowship forgiveness. And so holy, blameless, beyond reproach. And then our hope is in the gospel here. Our hope is in the gospel. Not only do all of us have a past condition, but if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a, <clears throat> excuse me, a current position, which will go on into eternity, a current position. And because of our hope in verse 23, look at verse 23 with me. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, this one verse has been so uh, abused by all facets or many facets of uh, Christendom that people are confused by that one little word at the beginning, if, if you continue, if you continue. It seems conditional, doesn't it? And that seems like a conditional clause. In fact, uh, those who believe you can lose your salvation, if you're a believer and they say that you can lose your salvation because of your sin, uh, those are called Arminians. That's Arminian theology based out of Jacob Arminius who lived back in the uh, late 1500s. And they must, they, they say that you've got to continue to persevere in, in your faith or you're going to lose it. And on the flip side of that are the Calvinists who follow John Calvin from the 1500s who say that believers must persevere in the faith. And if they don't, then they weren't believers in the first place. And this creates a lot of consternation for people. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Because remember, he is saying that you are, <clears throat> in verse 23, that you are you're in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away. He is not questioning their salvation at all or not their future. They're not going to lose their salvation. It is like since, this is a declaration that since you are continuing in the faith. Remember in the verse one, he called them not only saints, but faithful. And he tells them that they are steadfast in this. And this presentation is really about uh, the rewards at the Bema judgment seat. There is a judgment coming for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not a, not a judgment of our salvation. It's a judgment of our works in this life. 2 Corinthians 5.10 is a reference to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.10-15. It is not the great white throne judgment of our salvation, but it's a judgment of our works, and that's where rewards will be distributed. And perseverance in the faith is not required for kingdom entrance. And we see that many, many times throughout the New Testament. The only requirement to enter God's presence after this life is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for everlasting life. Read the Gospel of John. He reaffirms that the Gospel is written to unbelievers. And so today, remember that we have a past condition. This is who we were, and that should just remind us of the fact that we were estranged, hostile, and sinners by nature. And yet, God rescued us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a current position, which is holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. 
And that is a wonderful thing, and it should motivate us to live differently, to consider each of our days of our lives and to see uh, what uh, would reflect God's grace in our lives. We are in transition, of course, because this life is called sanctification. It's the second tense of salvation. Remember, salvation has three tenses. In the past tense, I was saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. I was 28 years old when that happened. And when I look to the future, whenever my days are up here on earth and God numbers my days, I'll die on time. And when I enter his presence, that is called glorification. In that tense, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. And that is see at future. But in this part in between, when I believed in Jesus and when I see him face to face is called or sanctification. We are growing in our faith and it's called I am being saved from the very power of sin. And uh, so we are in transition. We are moving forward. It's a journey. I was thinking back about a transit thing. And uh, when I was traveling back from Indonesia in 1998, uh, we flew from Jakarta, Indonesia, up to Taipei, uh, uh, tai Taiwan. Uh, I think it was General uh, Chiang Kai-shek Airport there, but we had a five-hour layover. And since we were transit passengers, we waited in the transit lounge. And it was nice with big windows and, and nice, comfortable chairs. And we waited there for five hours. And we were in transition. Now, I, wouldn't want, I didn't want to live there because I was moving on. I was heading for home. And for each one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are really heading home. We are in transition here. It doesn't mean we are inactive, but it means that we need to trust Christ every day and grip the truth of the gospel. Grip the truth of the gospel. Again, look at verse 23. That is the hope of the gospel that we have heard the Apostle Paul, even though he had not visited Colossae, through the report of Epaphras, who had probably planted that church, he knew that they were believers in Jesus Christ, which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. And it doesn't mean that every individual living on earth that day had heard the gospel. It's a figure of speech that means the gospel is going forth in great power through that. Uh, so we can mature for Christ any day, uh, stand firm in the faith. And Paul says, I'm sure you will. And that's what he's saying there. You know, I think all of us are really aware and uh, of identity theft around the world. And maybe some of you have suffered uh, through having your identity stolen and then suffered the uh, consequences of that. You know, people steal your name, uh, your other personal information, and they use it fraudulently, and you suffer because of that. And most of us are dismayed by that and try to protect ourselves with different software and all sorts of ways, shredders, everything to try to protect our identity so nobody steals our identity. And uh, we don't think that that's acceptable behavior to steal somebody's identity. But the su surprising reality is, when you think about it, is that Christians are, by definition, people who have someone else's identity. Have you ever thought of that yourself? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know that you have somebody else's identity? Uh, they're called Christians. We're called Christians because we've taken the identity of somebody else, Christ. That's why we're called little Christ's. That's our identity. Not only have we been given that identity, 
that we weren't born with. Remember our past condition, and we don't even earn the right to use it because it's been given to us by grace. We're invited uh, to basically empty out the checking account, which is impossible, and uh, we could have the benefits that this identity brings. There's so much, uh, this is so much better than what we experience as identity theft because it is an identity gift. It is an identity gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that this week as you go forward day by day and whatever the days hold in these uncertain times that your identity is truly in Christ and that it is a gift from him and it should cause us to live differently. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Let me pray in closing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word from the Apostle Paul today. Thank you for your loving kindness and thank you for this text of scripture. And Lord, even though we've been brief uh, in looking at it, uh, may it uh, resonate within our souls and our hearts and recognize that we belong to you, that even though our past condition was uh, really terrible when we look at it, the description of it here in this passage, yet our current position is wonderful and we should be staggered by the grace of God in it. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Please stand as the church scattered worships together.
Alone, faultless, and before the throne. 